I, I, I don't know where they get these arrangements of these Christmas hymns, but they're pretty, that was pretty cool, wasn't it? It had a, kind of a, a, retro, a retro sort of feel to it, uh, like going back to the bebop era. Didn't have that, bo 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 boom ba doom ba doom Get a job now, get a job. Hey, that shoo-ba-doo-ba-doo-ba kind of thing. I liked it. I liked it. Not, I, mean, I don't remember that music. I was much too young for that. <laughs> but I've heard. Okay. I hope some of you uh, who were here last week uh, had time this week to uh, get involved with some of those exercises we talked about. Uh, imaginatively entering into the Christmas wonder as though you're for the first time where you're the shepherd. Uh, at the side of uh, the cradle, and, uh, and just experience for the first time. Recover that wonder. And then I hope some had time, to, and if you haven't, then I hope you have time before the Christmas season, but to follow your Zezucht, 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 whatever. Um, where it, it, that longing in your heart, uh, follow it through, and, 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 let, and just ask the Spirit to bring you true north. Uh, that's your compass. And visit that far distant country. Go home. Uh, find that, that lost loved one. If, if you weren't here last week, you have no idea what I'm talking about. And it's fine. Uh, where were you? Come on. But uh, uh, I encourage you to check out that message. It's about the wonder of Christmas. And I'm not going to say it was a wonderful message, but it was, a, it was filled with wonder. So it's about waking up to the wonder all around you. All right? So most of us have heard this story before. Um, Elizabeth was an older relative of Mary. And uh, even though she was getting up in years, past childbearing years, she supernaturally conceived of a baby, and that was John the Baptist. And then we pick up the story in Luke, in chapter 1, starting with verse 26. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. A point that I've never understood. He just said, you're highly favored. What's so troubling about that? But she was young, and I guess seeing an angel would freak you out. So maybe that was it. She's considering this. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. I just told you you found favor with God. What's wrong with you? You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary says. little technicality here. I'm a virgin. I'm going to have a baby. That was the Greg Boyd paraphrase. And the, the angel said, Well, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So Jesus, we hear, find out, he'll inherit the throne of his father David, King David, and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. His kingdom. That means Jesus is a king. This baby to be born to Mary is going to be a king. But not just a king. Uh, he's the king of kings. In Re- Revelation 19, we, we read this about Jesus. It says, on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Most kings in this world don't know it, but they've got them, they, they, they themselves have a king. He's the king of the kings. And most lords in this world don't know it, 
but they themselves have a Lord, and he is the Lord of all lords. Praise God. Pray with me here. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you open our eyes to the beauty of your kingship and how radically different your, that, that kingship is. Uh, for everyone in this auditorium, everyone listening through podcasts, I pray, Lord, you open our hearts to receive your word. Uh, God, give it an authority that does not come from my words. It, it, it comes from you. An authority to tear down walls, misconceptions, misunderstandings, and just resistance, and to build your kingdom. Kingdomize us, Lord. The power of your spirit, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So we're in the series where we're looking at the night that changed the world, and every week we're looking at a different aspect of of what that Christmas season is about. So today we're going to talk about the king that changed the world. The king that changed the world. Uh, I heard it said that everybody, at least when they're younger, is a wannabe king or a wannabe queen, as the case may be. It just means you want to rule over something. You want to be top dog at something. You want to be looked up to in some area. The best at something. You want to rule in this area. When I was a uh, young man, I, I, the, the, two can, the two possibilities I saw where I could be maybe king would either be in drumming or in running. Uh, I wanted to be king in one of those areas. Uh, I matured physically, certainly not otherwise, but physically I matured faster than, uh, uh, <laughs> still getting junior high in terms of my maturity, but, but physically I was, um, uh, I, I, between 6th and 7th grade I grew, just grew for like 5 inches and and, uh, and so when it came to sports, I was better than most of my peers for a, a little window of time. Between the ages of 14 and 16, I was, I was pretty good, let me tell you. I had a lot of endurance, and so, so I was a good distance runner. I was undefeated for two years. Ooh, I, I held a school record. <laughs> what do you think of that? Uh, you know, I, 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 I was hot stuff. I was a legend in my own mind. Um, and and you know, this is also the same period of time where I, I'm playing in this rock band, and we're doing a lot of... Stuff that's not conducive to good health. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, no, I don't know, you, you fill in the details. So, so I, I, I'm living this dual life. But in my youthful arrogance, I wasn't humble back then like I am now. But I, in my youthful arrogance, I had this, I, I was like, I can smoke that stuff and drop that stuff. And I still beat everybody. Oh, I'm that good. <laughs> you know so there's a state meet. It's the Junior Olympics. And they have a state Junior Olympics and then a national Junior Olympics. And if you come in first or second in the state, you qualify for nationals. So I get in this race and thinking that I'm going to show the world this legend. Well, actually, I qualified for nationals, but I came in second. This, this, this farm kid from Brainerd beat me. Uh, so by like three seconds. So I, I figured, okay, I got a couple months to really train hard. And I'm going to kick his butt when it comes to nationals. So we go down to nationals. And this, is, this was held in Omaha, Nebraska, in the middle of this, this huge football stadium. It was incredible. And I get down there, and initially I'm puzzled because I don't see the kid that beat me. As we're warming up, getting ready for this race, I don't see him. In fact, I don't see a lot of kids that you think should be there. If two from every state qualify, there should be 100 kids there, but there's only about 20. What I didn't know, because I never got it apparently, was that they sent out to all the qualifiers a sheet of the qualifying times. And all the kids who saw they didn't have a chance at all to, to, to compete in this thing, they didn't show up. I didn't get that memo. <laughs> and it turns out that Minnesota had one of the slowest qualifying times in, 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 in the States. <laughs> so here I'm down there. And so I, I don't see this kid I'm competing against. And the 20 kids I do see, well, I thought I was physically mature compared to my peers, but these guys look like college kids. And they're all so skinny. <laughs> I'm kind of stocky. They're, they're all skinny. And, 
In fact, before the race, I actually said to one of the kids, is this a 16-year-old group? He goes, yeah, this is 16. It's like, oh, you know, why do you, why do you, they all look 20. So I don't know what's going on here, but things went from bad to worse because the race starts, and my first thought is I got in the wrong race. Uh, this must be the 800 <laughs> because these guys were going out so fast. It was like, man, they're just sprinting. So I'm trying to chug to keep up with them. Um, by the end of the first lap, I ran my first lap almost as fast, just a hair slower than I usually run the first lap of an 800, which is two laps around it. A mile is four. I finished two laps at almost my top speed, and I got two more to go. I'm gasping for air. At the end of the first lap, I'm about 30 yards behind the next to last place person. At the end of a half mile, I'm a good 50, 60, maybe 70 yards behind the next last person. By the third lap, I'm entering into a nightmare. Uh, my legs are now turning to complete rock. My lungs are burning. I, I, it felt like I was going in slow motion. You know, like, like wait. It, it, it was terrible. The, last, the next last person finished. Uh, well, I was, I still had about, I was on the other side of the track with about 200 meters to go. It was terrible. I don't know why I didn't just quit. I wasn't, I kept, I should have like, oh, I got a backache or I strained my ankle or something. I could have won, but I, I, I whatever. But I didn't. And so I can't, that last 200 meters took an eternity. And, and, you know, after the last place, the next last place guy finished, the, the crowd gets very quiet. The cheering stops. And now I'm being looked at by a stadium full of people who are having pity on me. And I, 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 and I, I, in fact, it got really quiet, and all you could hear was the sound of my tennis shoes slapping the track. And it would echo. That and the wheezing of my, 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 my lung. It was a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare. You know how lonely it is out there for 200 meters all by yourself? Everyone's looking at their watch like, come on. It, it, was, absolutely, it was absolutely terrible. And probably the worst part was that I was wearing this T-shirt. I said, super jock on it. <laughs> God could not have designed a more perfect lesson to take away my arrogance. <laughs> it was, it, that, was, that was the day that I, well, I learned of an important lesson. It's easy to be a big fish when you're in a very small pond. Right? Uh, another lesson is that... Uh, um, uh, you can get knocked, your high, knocked off your high horse very quickly. Uh, I, that was the time when I realized I'm probably not going to be that, the king of, of long-distance running that I thought I was going to be. My Olympic dreams just went out the window. Uh, I couldn't believe that kids my age could run that fast. It just never occurred to me. Um, I'm sure some of you have had those kind of experiences where you realize you're not going to be king of that area or queen of the area that you thought you were going to be in. There is, I think, this wannabe king part of us, uh, but... Uh, Hopefully we grow out of that at some point. Well, we're going to talk about the kingship of Jesus. And it's a kingship that he got, not because he won some kind of contest or something. Because any, any, any kingship or queenship that you can achieve with effort, you will sooner or later lose. But his kingdom has no end. It goes on forever and ever and ever. And what we're going to see here this morning is that his, his, his kingship is of a completely unique variety. It's utterly sui generis. It's, it's one of a kind. And it's altogether beautiful. So there's two things I want to say about Jesus as king here this morning. The first thing, and here we're going to get into a little history lesson, so put your thinking caps on. Um, 
it has to do with the fact that to claim him as king, it's, it's an exclusive claim that is therefore subversive. You'll see what I mean here in a minute. We, had, we, we, we attach these titles to Jesus. He's king, or we say he's Lord, or we say he's Savior, or we call him the Son of God, because he is. But to really grasp the full significance of those titles, you need to know that those exact same titles were applied to Caesar Augustus. He was called the Lord and King and Savior of the world and even Son of God. Those were all associated with Caesar. And they were very, very important in the Roman Empire. They are part of what held the Roman Empire together. Here's the thing. Rome was, in an unprecedented way, huge. It was vast. It, it, it extended all the way up to Scotland in the north, to North Africa in the south, over to Spain in the east, and Syria in the west. The, the region that, that, that Rome occupied, when it, when it was at the peak of its power, which occurred just shortly after the time that, that Jesus lived, um, that area now is occupied by 40 different countries. It's, it's, over, it's, it's over 5 million square kilometers. It was massive. So how do you hold an empire that is that massive together? It's not easy. One of the main ways that Rome held it together was this. When they conquered a people group, they would leave most of the indigenous features of that group in place. They didn't try to Romanize everybody. Uh, they just wanted to rule everybody. Uh, what they insisted on was that they, the people swear absolute allegiance to Caesar. And the way you swear absolute allegiance to Caesar is by ascribing those titles to him. If you'll publicly, publicly profess that Caesar is king, Caesar is Lord, Savior, Son of God, well then, you're good to go. And they didn't even care if you believed it or not, you just had to say it. And so if a Roman authority uh, uh, crossed your path, uh, you as a civilian, the, the, the authority would sometimes say, Caesar is Lord, and you had to say, Caesar is Lord back. And it was, it was their way of pledging allegiance. You have to pledge allegiance to Caesar. Caesar is king. You have to say, Caesar is king. Or you might say, hail Caesar, Son of God, and you have to respond back. Hail Caesar, son of God. This was their Pledge of Allegiance, and this is how they held this thing together. It was, it was sort of the glue that held this all together. Imagine if we had that, that law today. Just think about it. A policeman pulls you over and says, Obama is king and lord, savior of the world. And you have to say, Obama is king, savior, lord of the world. Or maybe it would come easy to you because you like Obama. But imagine next year, uh, the policeman says, Donald Trump is king and savior of the world. And you, you have to respond, Donald Trump is king, savior of the world. <laughs> no commentary needed. <laughs> Some people are already saying that. <laughs> no, see, that's the situation that Rome lived under, all right? That was, that, that was the rule of the land. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is born in Palestine, and Palestine's under Roman rule. And yet, in fact, the early church for the first couple centuries all took place within Roman rule. And yet the early Christians ascribed these titles, the ones that are used of Caesar's, those same ones they ascribed to Jesus. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Son of God. And you got to know this. The assumption throughout the land there is that to call someone Lord means no one else is. If you say Caesar is Lord, no, you're saying no one else is Lord. If Caesar's king, no one else is king. So also, they knew that when you say Jesus is Lord and Jesus is king, you're saying it ain't Caesar. If Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. If Jesus is king, Caesar is not. If Jesus is Savior, Caesar ain't. And if Jesus is the Son of God, Caesar's not. Which is why becoming a Christian 
And the ancient world was a very dangerous thing. That's why Christians were martyred so frequently in the first three centuries of the church. They would not respond. The authority would say, Caesar is Lord. They, they would say, no, it's Jesus. And the thing is, is if, you, if you responded wrongly when the authority asked you, or if you didn't respond at all, you could be arrested on the spot, tried with treason, and, and that was capital crime in ancient Rome. You could be put to death. And so to become a Christian in the early church, was a sub, you're joining a group of subversives. They were subverting the authority of Caesar, and they were subverting the glue that held Rome together. And so they're seen as being very, very dangerous. That's why they were put to death. And so to become a Christian meant that you could, you and your family could, 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 could be facing death. It, it, it required a high price. But it was all because they ascribed these titles to Jesus. Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. Jesus is King, Savior is not. Caesar is not. Now, the takeaway for us, folks, is just this. It's easy for us, to, for us to forget that exclusivity. We need to remember that when we say Jesus is Lord and King and Savior and Son of God, we're saying no one else is Lord, King, Savior, or Son of God. When we're saying Jesus has the authority over us, we're saying no one else has authority over us. We give it to no one else. Jesus himself taught us that you can't serve two masters. Everybody say it. You can't serve two masters. You cannot do it. You may think you can do it, but you cannot do it. Um, it, it, with Jesus, it's an all-or-nothing thing. If he's authority over us, then no one else is. If we're pledging our allegiance to Jesus, we can pledge it to no one else. And in and, and saying that, you may say, well, that sounds subversive and unpatriotic. And I'm not trying to be subversive and, and unpatriotic, but I'm not the one who came up with the saying that you can't serve two masters. <laughs> Jesus did. And so if you've got an issue with that, take it up with Jesus. Uh, it, it's, a, it, it's an all-or-nothing thing. It applies to his kingship, his lordship. It also applies to him as savior. If we, if we look to him, if all of our trust is put in him, all of our hope is in him to save us, it means we can't be putting it in anything else. There's an exclusive, it's by nature exclusive. Uh, it, it's an all or nothing. I sometimes hear, I sometimes hear uh, Christians say things like this, or I read it in books. Uh, they'll say, you know, we have a dual citizenship, we have a, we have a, a dual uh, allegiance. A dual allegiance. Uh, we, we are, we're here to serve God and country. Dual allegiance. Um, and they only say that in America. They don't think that you know, Christians in North Korea should have a dual allegiance to their country or Christians in China or Russia, that they should have allegiance to God and country. No, they're not. They're only here. Why? Because our country is so of God, I guess. Uh, but I hope you can see now why that is just fundamentally mistaken. We, we can't have a dual allegiance. Uh, our allegiance is to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Now, here's the thing. He tells us to submit to the authorities, uh, to, to earthly authorities. And so we do. We should obey the laws of the land. But we do that not because the government has an authority over us or we ascribe authority to them. We do it because the one and only king who has authority over us, he tells us to do that. And so we do it. But we do it for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake, obey the laws of the land, right? For Christ's sake. But, but it's not because that the government has that authority over you. Of course, legally it does. And the government thinks it has authority over you. That's because the government, I don't care what country you're in, the government isn't submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But if you are submitted to Christ as Lord and Savior, well, then you do it for his sake. In fact, everything we do should be motivated by our allegiance to him, not to anyone else. You can't serve two masters. If he is our authority, we have no other authority. We have our king, we have our Lord, we have our Savior. And so it, 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 it holds with, 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 with saying that he's Savior. It means our only hope is in him. That means we're not finding our hope in our finances or in our retirement or in the candidate or in the bureaucracy or in, in, in the military or what have you. 
No, all of our hope, all of our hope is to depend on Jesus Christ, the one Lord and Savior. I shared this two weeks ago, but it's only when all of our hope and trust is found in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's only then that we can enter into the peace that he brings. He's called the Prince of Peace. And we only access that peace, that perfect peace that passes understanding. We only access it to the degree that all of our hope is pinned on him. All of our eggs are in that basket. To the degree that you have a dual allegiance, to that degree you're not going to be able to enter into the peace that the Prince of Peace brings us. I think this is such an important point right now because I'm sure you have noticed that our country and other countries are living in, in a state of fear right now. Fear is hitting a fever pitch. Have you noticed that? Um, with this rise of terrorism. Uh, and in this country, now we have it, we're just surrounded by increasing violence. I read this the other day, that we've had more mass shootings, a mass shooting defined as four or more people being killed or in, in injured in a single incident. We've had more mass shootings than we've had days this year. We're averaging more than one a day. That's crazy. And, and it gets on the news, and so we're bombarded by this violence all around us. It used to be that going to the mall you know, felt like you're going to a safe place. Now, now it, it, it can feel to a lot of folks like it's not safe. Uh, there's a chance that you could get shot, a chance you could get bombed, something's going to go off. And so there's a lot of fear going on, a lot of fear. And see, it's always been to the advantage of people who are looking to get into power uh, to pander to that. Uh, so that people will surrender control to them, give them power in exchange for protection. Because when you're afraid, you want protection. And so we find it today that, that, that uh, the folks that are trying to be our king, uh, they, 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 they play to that fear. And, and they, they'll give all sorts of promises of protection. Make me your king and I will protect you. Make me your king and I will incinerate our enemies. And I'll make that desert where they're living a, a, a radiation gold, going with gold. And, and make me your president and I will keep out all the terrorists and all the people who, to me, look like terrorists. And, and, and make me your king and I will I, I'll have surveillance on everyone I think looks like a terrorist. Make me your king and we'll build a wall and keep all the bad guys out. And the other people on the other side are saying, no, we don't, make us your king and, and we, we, we can protect you without all those kind of radical changes. We, we'll, we'll just have the best policies and we'll outsmart them and we'll have the, pass the best laws and, and, and that's how we'll keep you safe. Blah, 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 blah. Good luck with that. And, and, and here's the thing. I, I don't care at all. I don't give a moldy breadcrumb what you think about the merits of those proposals. Maybe you think some are good. You think they're all stupid. Fine, I don't care. What I care about is that if you're a kingdom person, don't trust them. <laughs> Even if you think they're smart, don't trust them. Don't trust them. There's, don't have a dual allegiance. Don't put any eggs in that basket. Uh, see, if your sense of security is found in some politician's proposal, even if you think it's a smart proposal, which they're not, but, but even if they were, uh, if that's your security, you're going to need some anti-anxiety medication pretty quick. <laughs> Because that ain't much of security, right, folks. No, see, the thing is, is, is that uh, all of our hope, all of our trust is to be found in the one that we profess to be the Savior. Not one of the Saviors. He's the Savior. And our confidence is to be him. Our security is to be in him. Our eyes are, 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 are to be fixed on him. The only one who can offer true protection and therefore offer eternal protection is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one real Son of God, the one real Savior, the Word of God, the image of God, Lamb of God. He's all those things. Praise God. And see, if, if, to the degree that our allegiance is singular to him and our trust is singular on him, to that degree you can enter that perfect peace that passes all understanding. Because even when the bomb goes off, 
The understanding would say you should be freaking out, but you can have a peace that's bigger than that, it's deeper than that, that endures throughout that. I, I can't say that you'll be protected about bad, from bad things happening. Of course I can't say that. We live in a war zone, for crying out loud. It's, it's a spiritual war zone, and it's increasingly becoming, here in the States, a physical war zone. You could get shot tonight for all I know. But see, here's the good news. Here's what, they, here's what the real protector gives you. Paul says it in Romans 8, that neither height nor depth, nor, nor, nor things present nor things to come, neither famine nor pearl nor sword, uh, neither bombs or bullets, neither bo- terrorists uh, uh, nor, nor shooters. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that's found in Jesus Christ. Put all your hope on that. Put all your hope on that. And then if you die, you die. <laughs> but uh, uh, you can live with a peace that passes all understanding when your hope is in the King of kings and Lord of lords. So his claim is exclusive and therefore it's subversive. It subverts all other authorities because we looked at him alone. The second thing is this about the kingship of Jesus. It is very, very odd. It's an odd kingship. Uh, But it's beautifully odd. Beautifully odd. Uh, It it starts right with his birth. Uh, Here's how kings are supposed to be born, all right? Uh, Here's what a a normal king looks like. Uh, This is, yeah, this is uh, King George. Look at that little cute little guy there. Oh, and Kate and William are so so cute. And and see, you're born into a family of wealth. That's how it's supposed to be. And and you're born into a family that's respected and looked up to. And and, and you have clean and comfortable conditions, and you're surrounded by royalty. And and kings are supposed to live in palaces, right? Um, And and, and have opulence. They they are to have the best that the world has to offer, the maximum of everything, the extravagant. That's what is befitting for a king. And when the king is born, uh, it's announced throughout the world, throughout the land, he's, he's going to rule. And celebrated with pomp and circumstance, and everyone's excited. It's something I've never got. I, I, even in America here, when that little kid was born, everyone's going gaga on television and, and the, the tabloids. And it, I make a very bad English person, I think, because I, I don't get the kingship even over there, but I certainly don't get Americans getting all He's a cute baby. I'll, 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 and Kate, what a cute couple. Wonderful. But there's... But there's a million like that. I mean, it's like, what is so exciting about that baby? God bless him. I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I, I, w- w- and I apologize to all of our British podrishners. Jolly good show. Everything's going hot, pep, and all that. Uh, I just, I'm just saying, I don't understand that. It's, it's how it is. And you can go ahead and say, dumb American. But uh, that's that. That's, but celebrate throughout the land. Everyone's so happy. Where he goes, there's crowds. Yay, look at the baby. I don't get that. I, I, you wouldn't do that to other babies. Why that one? I, I, I just do not get it. But there's crowds. That is how it goes with kings. And, and wherever this baby goes, this baby's got protection. Military around it. No one's going to get to this kid. That's how a normal king's supposed to be born. Jesus didn't quite have that. <laughs> King Jesus, when he's born, you know, he wasn't even born into the empire he was supposed to rule. He wasn't even born in his own hometown. Uh, they had to travel, as, I, as Trevor said earlier, travel a long ways to Bethlehem. Um, and, and that's where he's born. And then King Herod finds out about it, and like normal earthly kings do, uh, he's, he, he gets intimidated by this, the possibility of another king being born, so he starts to kill all the kids. So now the family has to flee to Egypt. The family becomes Egyptian refugees. Think about it. So to compare the birth of Jesus with George, we should think about what it would be like to be a child in one of these refugee camps in this, in this very, very sad plight that these folks are finding themselves in, caught in no man's land. No, one, no country wants to admit them, and, and they've got no place to go. So let's, let's think about that. Uh, Jesus wasn't born into wealth. He was born to some poor parents. They were peasants. And uh, far from being respected, he was born out of wedlock. 
And in, in first century Jewish culture, to be born out of wedlock, I mean, that, that is a shame and a stigma you're never going to live down. So this family isn't looked up to, they're looked down on. And Jesus, all of his life, will be looked down on. It's the opposite of what, what kings are supposed to get. And then, this king isn't raised in a palace. Now this king is homeless and is running for his life with his family to Egypt. And this king isn't surrounded by royalty and dignitaries. The high and mighty, like kings are supposed to, this, this King Jesus, when he's born, he's born, he's surrounded by animals. And uh, then some lowly shepherds show up, and they're nobodies. And then some pagan astrologers show up. And to a, for a Jewish person, that's not very complimentary either. Uh, there's no dignities, no royalty here. The only royalty that knows about this kid being born is trying to kill him. Look, he's a very different kind of king. And when Jesus is born, he's not celebrated around the world at least not initially. No, he's, he's very much like a baby born in a Syrian refugee camp. No one would know about him. And a lot of folks wouldn't want him. And Jesus isn't born with a lot of protection. The authorities don't protect Jesus. The authorities try to kill Jesus. And in the end, they succeed in that. So you couldn't get a starker contrast between the, ways, the way a king is supposed to be born and the way Jesus was born. He, Jesus doesn't get clean and sanitary conditions. No, he, he's born in an animal stable and he's put in a feeding trough. That's what that manger is. Not the most sanitary thing in the world. It's the opposite of what, what is normal for a king. Um, and see, here's the thing. Jesus could have had all that. In fact, he could have stayed in heaven in the bliss of, of, of his heavenly position and, and he didn't need to come down here. But if he was going to come down here, he could have had the palace. He could have had the, the, the luxury, the dignitaries, all that. But on purpose, he didn't. And that says a whole lot about the kind of king he is. He set all that aside out of, out of love for us. He comes not to rule over folks with a high and mighty threatening hand, but to sacrifice himself for folks. He's a king who reigns with self-sacrificial love. And you see this throughout his whole life. He just utterly contrasts with earthly kings. You know, kings are supposed to live in the palace. But Jesus says, as he's ministering among the folks, I don't have a place to lay his head. He's homeless. And, and, and the kings are supposed to ride around in their fancy carriages. But Jesus walks around Galilee barefoot. And kings are supposed to attract to themselves all the wealthy and the famous, the high and mighty. But Jesus, while he loves everybody and he'll fellowship with everybody, it's mainly the poor folks that come to him and the marginalized folks and the oppressed folks. They're hungry for the message he has to give. And so he tends to hang out with those folks. That's who he attracts. Uh, and, and, and the kings are supposed to surround themselves with uh, nobles and honorable people, people of high esteem, dignitaries. But Jesus, throughout his ministry, he tended to hang out most, because these are the people who would welcome him, with the sinners and the tax collectors, with the prostitutes, which made his reputation go from bad to worse. Uh, he didn't have the reputation that a king was supposed to have. And kings are supposed to be served. Everybody waits on them. They don't wait on people. They, their feet get washed. They don't wash other people's feet. But this king, this weird, different king, he comes, and he, he comes to serve, and he washes the feet of his disciples who are going to betray him before, before morning. Uh, normal kings lord it over people, but Jesus exercises the power under people. It's the power of self-sacrificial love. Everything he was about manifested self-sacrificial love. And you see this especially towards the end of his life. Uh, normal kings are supposed to be wearing uh, fancy royal clothes that are very comfortable. Jesus, in the end, is stripped naked, humiliated, and then beaten. Far from having comfort, he's beaten to the point of being beyond recognition. And normal kings are supposed to be honored by everybody, but this king ends up being despised by everybody. Uh, normal kings are supposed to have armies that protect them, but this king is assassinated by the army. And the army he could have called on, the legions of angels to fight for him, he refused to do it. 
Why? Because he would rather die for his enemies than squash them, even though he could squash them. This is a very weird kind of a king, not like the normal kings of this world. And kings are supposed to wear crowns of gold and jewels and diamonds to display the royalty, but this king wears a crown of thorns. The motto of earthly kings is, is uh, others get sacrificed to save the king. Sacrifice yourself to save the king. But this king says, I sacrifice myself to save you. He's the opposite of the world's kind of kings. He, 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 he's, he reigns with self-sacrificial love, service towards others. And, and you, you can see this really clearly if you just consider the kind of glory, the kind of glory that, that, that characterizes the two kingships. The, the kings of this world, their glory their glory is in their position. Their glory is in their power, what they can do. Their glory is in that they can, they, they can threaten people into allegiance. Say I'm Lord or, or I kill you. That's, that's their glory. It's their power. And it's all theirs. They don't share it with anybody. No, it's mine. You know, anyone who threatens that uh, ends up getting killed. That's why Herod had killed the, the boys of Bethlehem. No, they, 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 they cling to that glory, their glory, their power. It's not about their character. It's just about their position, their power. They can do it. Why? Because they can they're king. But see, the glory of Jesus is altogether different. It says in John 12, Jesus said that when I am lifted up, I will glorify the Father. That's the hour of glorification. Now, everything Jesus did glorify the Father, but he's most clearly glorified. He shines the brightest when Jesus is crucified because that's what displays the Father's character and displays the character of Jesus. Jesus says, if you see me, you see the Father. His glory is in the cross. Why? Because his glory his reign, his power is self-sacrificial love. And see, this is why, um, whereas the kings of this world hang on to their glory, their pathetic ego-need-driven glory, mine, I can do it, I share it with no one, Jesus gives this glory away. John 17, he's, he's praying to the Father here, and he says, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one even as we are one. Now follow this. Because the glory is self-sacrificial love, you can give it away. He's saying, I'm empowering them to live out our character. Live self-sacrificial love. And when they do that, they'll be one. When, when they have a love for each other, where they're submitted to one another, they're going to be one just as we are one. The kingdom community is supposed to be a mirror of the Trinity. Because the kind of love that, 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 that unites God is the kind of love that should unite us. You see, and so the glory is self-sacrificial love. I, I, I read folks and, and hear folks talk about God's glory I'm telling you, sometimes it's really clear to me that they're not thinking about the cross. Uh, they're thinking about some earthly king. Like, like God is just a, you know, an earthly king on a cosmic level on steroids. And, and so they'll say things like God's glory. God's glory is his position. He's God. You can never question him. God's glory is his power. His, he, he, his, God's glory is his omnipotence, his sovereignty, where he controls everything. And everything happens is for his glory. He causes everything for his own glory. Even the earthquakes and diseases and famines and all that, it's all for his glory because he's displaying what he can do. Okay, this is the glory of God. Look what I can do. I can do anything. No one can question me. I, I've read people who say, God even predestines people to hell for his glory. Because he can. He's showing his justice, somehow that's just. And, 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 and so it's the glory of a kind of a... That, that's not what you get if you look at the cross. Uh, when you look at the cross, you get the opposite of that. The, the, the glory that they're talking about is the glory of an earthly king on a cosmic level. It's a glory of some kind of egomaniac, narcissistic, a control freak. You know, look what I can do just because I can. No, the, the, the glory that's revealed on the cross, the glory that's revealed in Jesus Christ is, is this, this pouring out glory. It's a glorious outpouring. It's a glorious love. It's a glorious service. It's a glorious humility. It's a glorious sacrifice. 
The glory of God is the radiance of a self-sacrificial love that's put on display in the cross. That's a weird king, but that's the kind of king we serve, praise God. That, 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 he's altogether beautiful. And this king, he, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't want allegiance based on threats. I'll kill you. No, he wants allegiance that's won out of love. He tries to win our allegiance by pouring his love out towards us. It is true that, that if in the end, when all said and done, we've rejected him, we die. But that's not because he kills us. It's because he is the source of life. And to reject life is death. Uh, and, and see, this is why submitting ourselves to him is not a demeaning thing. I, I've met people who say, oh, I, 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 how, can, how can you bow your knee to anyone as king? That's degrading. That's undignifying. But see, they're thinking about an earthly king who's saying, worship me, honor me, or I'll squish you. So, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it, you know, bootlicker, okay. That's not what he wants. You know, see, we submit to him. He calls us to submit to him because, folks, we are created for perfect love and for joy and for peace and for beauty, and he is it. <laughs> he is, he is the, the embodiment, the source of all love and, and beauty and joy and peace. And so you don't lose worth by submitting to him. He's the source of your worth. And you don't lessen your life by submitting to him. He's the source of your life. He's the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. And submitting to him is beautiful. His glory is his self-sacrificial love, his character put on display. And he wins our allegiance that way. So I want to close with this question. I mean, we're called then to submit our lives to him and to live for his glory. To live for his glory. I hope you can now see, and we sang about it earlier, can you see that that just means then he, he shares his glory with us. He wants us to replicate his character, his humility, his service. Uh, will we commit to living for him, to, to put on display his glory, to shine the way he shines? He gives it to us. He invites us to participate in this glory, this glorious kingdom. Um, here's the thing. If, if, if all of our allegiance is to be towards him and everything's to be submitted to him, then to glorify God means that every aspect of our life should have a, a sacrificial dimension to it. His glory is sacrifice, self-sacrifice. If we're glorifying him, everything should have a sacrificial dimension to it. And so this is the season of giving, and so it's a good time to, to do an inventory. Like it's a thing we should do regularly. Look at the different aspects of your life and ask, what is the sacrificial dimension to them? Your time. Is it all just done how you want? Is it about you? Are you Lord of your own time? Or what aspect of the way you spend your time is sacrificial? Where does it cost you something? Where are you being poured out towards others? And your budget. Uh, is that all just your decision making? Is it all around you? Or what aspect of your budget pinches you? How does it hurt a little bit? Where are you bleeding? See, it becomes kingdom to the point that we start to bleed when we start to feel the pinch. That's when it becomes a sacrifice. It's not about an amount. It's about, does it pinch you? A good way to get at this is to ask this question. What do you not have that you otherwise would have if you were not a follower of Jesus? What have you said no to? Think about it. Uh, and the way you spend your energy. How is that different because you're a follower of Jesus? And, and your relationships. What do you say no to in relationships that you would otherwise say yes to if you weren't a follower of Jesus? What's the sacrificial dimension of your relationships at the workplace, where, where, where is it pinching you? Where is it costing you something? Where you're, you're looking different from the folks of the world. And, 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 and your relationships in your neighborhood, and your relationships with your spouse, your relationship with your kids, where is the sacrificial dimension there? In some areas you might say there's a lot of sacrifice, but you might find that in other areas there's just none there. 
And I submit to you, if there's nothing there that pinches you, it probably is an indication that you're Lord of that area, not, not Jesus. And our job then is to offer that up to him. Uh, it's okay to enjoy stuff. He'll, he'll tell you how, what, what to enjoy, what, what should be about you. You're not supposed to just be a nothing, poured out 100% to living for others. No, no, you, you, you have some time, you have some money, you have some possessions, that's good. But there should be a sacrificial dimension to it. And so if you find areas, and I would do this on a regular basis, because it's not like you lock it in once and then can coast. No, it's a, it's a regular thing we have to be involved in. But, but look at your life, and when you find an area that isn't, that there's no sacrificial dimension to it, go before God and, and ask him to give you a picture of what it would look like for you to be following his will in that area. What are you supposed to sacrifice and what are you supposed to keep for yourself? Your time, your energy, your money, relationships, your possessions. How is your life different because you're a follower of a king who is the Lord of self-sacrifice? He rules with self-sacrifice. His kingdom is all about self-sacrifice. He's the Lord of the cross. And our job is to carry that. Amen? Amen. Amen. What a different, beautiful, uh, beautifully different kind of king we serve. What a beautifully different kind of kingdom we're a part of. Uh, it's glorious. Our call is to put that on display. We just stand. Uh, if you're here this morning and could use prayer in any area, uh, whether it's about this topic or something else, uh, up here by the stage, there's some stairs, and we have some prayer teams there. Prayer teams, would you take your positions? And I encourage you to come forward and pray with these folks. Or if you want to find out how to be a follower of Jesus this morning. There's nothing magical about it. It's just uh, you're saying I do, like in a marriage. But come up here and talk to these folks, and they'll explain what it is to, to become part of the kingdom and to get going uh, in that area. Father, as we leave this place, I pray your spirit will remind us to be going over our life uh, and to honestly assess uh, how it glorifies you or how it doesn't glorify you. Thank you for being the beautiful God that you are. Thank you, God, for, for, for winning our allegiance rather than just threatening us into allegiance. Thank you, God, for being so different from all the, the leaders of this world. Lord, help us to have an allegiance that is singular towards you, not divided. Help us, Lord, to enter in the peace that you provide for us. Help us, Lord God, to be submitting every area of our life that it takes on a cross quality to it. We want to be your people, reflecting your love and your character to the world around us. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, God bless you guys. Go out and shine.